We've been in the book of Hebrews for quite some time, and the Lord willing, we'll finish next week. We've termed it the letter of better because it's so filled, I hope, with encouraging thoughts of how much better the Lord Jesus Christ is than any other pretender to the throne, how better he is than any alternative. He's better than any sacrifice. He's better than any way. He's better than any religious system. He's better than anything. And because he's so much better, the writer of Hebrews, I think tonight, wants to exhort us uh, to realize that because he is so much better, it is for us a far better thing to go outside the camp. And I want to take uh, some time to explain to you what does that mean? Why is it better to go outside the camp? Uh, the argument in favor of that statement is found in Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse 10. Just a few verses tonight. Hebrews chapter 13, uh, verse 10. You could uh, uh, listen or read along if you have a Bible. Listen, we have an altar. Um, I think you'll see that I'm right when I tell you the we is a reference to Hebrews. We, the, the writer, whoever the writer is, and the recipients are Hebrews. Hence the name of the book, Hebrews, you see. So he's writing to Jews, and it's Jews who have an altar. What kind of altar? It's an altar of sacrifice. You know, God, when he had Moses up on Mount Sinai, gave him all kinds of procedures for sacrifice, and they were regulated. We read about it in the book of Leviticus and so on and so forth. And there was an altar of sacrifice, and this is what God provided for atonement for sin for the Jews. So the we, that's Jews, we have an altar, the writer is writing, from which those who serve the tabernacle, you know who they are? Those are the Jewish priests of old. We Jews have an altar of sacrifice, but not all Jews can officiate it at it, but there are those who serve the tabernacle, those are the priests, but they have no right to eat of a certain sacrifice offered on the altar. Now, this is quite an attention get getter to the first century recipients. You see, here's what God said, because he's such a good provider. He said to the priests, you need to be sustained, and here will be a, a form of sustenance for you. When people bring their sin offerings, you can keep a portion of it. You will offer most of it to me as atonement for sin, but what remains is yours and for your family for sustenance. That was the custom, but here it says, but there is a specific altar uh, upon which a specific sacrifice is offered, which those priests who serve have absolutely no right to eat from. So what, what offering is that? Well, look at verse 11. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Now, folks, that is a reference to a holiday called the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. And on this particular day, a special sin offering, an unblemished animal, was offered in sacrifice by the priests. Its blood was shed in the Holy of Holies, which only the high priest could enter into one time a year. There was the mercy seat, and the blood of that sacrificed day of atonement Sin offering was to be spread in the Holy of Holies upon the mercy seat. And then the remains were not to be consumed 
by the high priest or his underlings, not at all. The remains were to be taken outside the camp where they were to be burned. This was not for eating. This was for burning. And that's what it says way back in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 27. But the bull of the sin offering and the goat of the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be taken outside the camp, and they shall burn their hides, their flesh, and their refuse in the fire. So unlike all other animals offered by the priesthood in sacrifice, these offered on this particular occasion were not for eating. They were to be taken outside the camp, burned there as a symbol of the disgrace of sin. Take it away from us. We wish to be separate, burned. Let it be consumed. Let it be removed from our life experience. It was a symbol not only of the, 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 the disgrace of sin, but of the redemptive price it cost. This is gory. An animal's throat is cut. Its blood is shed. Its body is carried off. It's cast outside the camp. It's burned. It's consumed in the... Good night. This was not a pretty picture at all, and that was the point. It was an ugly picture of the ugliness of sin and the costliness of the price to redeem the sinner from his or her own sin. That's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about here. And the readers, like us, might be wondering, why are you telling us this? That's Old Covenant stuff. We're in Hebrews now. That's New Covenant stuff. Is, you got nothing, is this like a history lesson of Old Covenant Israel, sacrifices that don't apply? What's up? Well, now you get the application in the next verse, verse 12. Therefore, so you got verse 10 and 11 about that special sacrifice, which was to be burned outside the camp, not eaten. Therefore, Jesus also. By the way, as a little side note, um, that is a good hermeneutical principle or principle of biblical interpretation. Relate everything you read in the Old Testament to Jesus. Read absolutely. Therefore, Jesus also. When you read about the temple, when you read the sacrifices, the high priest, relate everything you can to Jesus, and it'll unlock the key to the Old Testament. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood suffered outside the gate. The writer of Hebrews is saying, do you remember this special day of atonement sin offering not to be consumed but burned outside the gate? Jesus also. The ultimate sin offering, the ultimate lamb of God, he too suffered outside the gate. He he was crucified, not in the precincts of the city of Jerusalem, absolutely not, outside the gate. And so we read in John chapter 19, verse 17, they took Jesus and he went out, he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. There's a place in Israel thought to be that place. Whether it is or not, I don't know for sure. It could be, but it is for sure outside of the gate. The writer of Hebrews is drawing a connection, a parallel. He's linking the covenants. He's showing the old covenant to be a foreshadowing, a preparation for the fulfillment in the new covenant ushered in by the Lord Jesus. As that sin offering 
was to be taken outside the gate and burned, so too the ultimate sin offering, Jesus, was crucified outside of the gate. Now, what is the significance inside the camp, outside the camp? Folks, inside the camp is society, is culture, is population, is government, is religion. In fact, inside the camp of Jerusalem was the seat of religion. Inside the camp was the happening place. That's where it is. That's culture. That's society. That's education. That's all the institutions of humankind inside the camp. Well, if that's the case, what's outside the camp? Nothing worth anything. Outside the camp lived everyone, everything considered by the establishment, by the system, by the government, by the religion, by the intelligentsia. Everyone considered nothing lived outside the camp. Everyone considered unclean, corrupted, defiled, rejected, worthless, and disgraceful. I don't want that person as my neighbor. That's what outside the camp is all about. That's where you reside. Outside the camp, Gentiles resided. You peeps. So if you were hanging out with Jews for whatever reason, they get inside the camp. You stay outside the camp. I'm not lying to you. Because you are defiled ceremonially. You will corrupt the whole religious system. The system has no room for you. Don't you love religion? The system says, stay away. Where? Outside the camp. Outside the camp was the place of those who had leprosy. Contagious skin diseases, more importantly, who because of it were ceremonially defiled. They could not enter the temple precincts. They couldn't get close. You remember the law for lepers? If they got too close to you, they had to warn you. They had to yell, unclean, unclean, so you could get out of the way. You don't want anything to do with them. You know the law said if you even greeted a, a leper, you could be brought up on charges. Are you? These were the un, literally the untouchables. Where are they going to live? Outside the camp. Junk. Worthless material. People who were dehumanized, they live outside the camp. Foreigners, lepers. You know who lived outside the camp? Those about to be executed. They lived there until they were executed. If you committed a crime against the government, a crime against the religious system, a crime against the, the institutions of society, if you committed a crime, you're going to be executed outside the camp. You know what else was outside the camp? A garbage dump. What are we going to do with all the garbage that we inside the camp generate? Let's dump it outside the camp. There is a gate today in Israel around the old city called the Dung Gate. Why do you think it's called the Dung Gate? For obvious reasons. That was the place where they took the garbage so as to dump it in an area. They had an area where refuse was kept. It's called the Valley of Hinnom, Gehenna. That's where we get the name. Burning and flies and rodents and smells and foreigners and lepers and those to be executed. People who themselves lost sense of the fact that they were created in the image of God because the system so marginalized them. They had no room for them whatsoever. You can't live here. Your place is outside the camp. Waste up. Jesus was crucified outside the camp. You see? 
And in so doing, Jesus, Son of God, talk about a father's concern for a child. Son of God, Jesus, crucified in this place outside the camp. And in so doing, he identified with absolutely everyone rejected and marginalized and set apart. Jesus is the Messiah of the marginalized. Do you ever feel like you don't fit? Why don't you let Jesus lay hold of you? You're made for him. You fit with him. He's the Messiah of the marginalized. He was rejected outside the camp. And so, outside the camp, this place of rejection was also the place of redemption. To find redemption, you would have to go outside the camp. You're not going to find redemption in the religious system. You're not going to find salvation through the government. You're not going to be redeemed through the academic system. All the forms and institutions of society are limited. They cannot save you. They cannot straighten what's been made crooked. They cannot give you hope. They do not love you. They don't know you. They're a part. So if you want to be redeemed, you have to go to the place of rejection in order to find yourself in the place of of redemption. And Jesus suffered, you see, out there, died apart from all the institutions of society, government and religion and the mainstream of society. And why did he do this? Why? Why? Well, the text says, therefore, Jesus also, here's why, that he might sanctify the people. How? Through his own blood. Therefore, he suffered outside the gate. So to sanctify means to dedicate set apart. Jesus was set apart in order that he might set apart ones like you and I who are willing to go outside the camp to find Jesus. That's why he did it. He set himself apart from the mainstream, from the institutions, from all the uh, virtuous and sought-after aspects of society. He separated himself Entirely so that he could, he, could, he could find a separated people, a people set apart unto him, a people he could present to the Father. Here, Father, I love you. Here's a family. Here are sons and daughters who follow me. Here, here are ones I've embraced and I'm bringing with me to you to dwell with you and I forevermore. They've come outside the camp. They came to the place of rejection, finding a place of redemption and now I present them to you and so the, all the degradation and all the disdain and rejection and suffering that this Jesus went through was to set us apart as a people dedicated unto his father can you think about this folks 2,000 years ago the only begotten son of God and the alpha and omega has no beginning nor any end the unchangeable one the almighty God who in the power of his word brought into existence all that which exists. The one who holds all things together sees the end from the beginning. The one who now sits at the right hand of the father. <clears throat> Do you know 2,000 years ago that one had you on his mind? When he suffered in that uh, 
horrific place, that garbage dump outside the camp. <clears throat> he had you on his mind, and he knew sometime you and he would cross paths. And something in you <laughs> would motivate you to go outside the camp, risking rejection so as to find your place of redemption. He enabled it 2,000 years ago. He set himself apart so that he could set you and I apart. Pretty unbelievable. No, believable. <laughs> it's true. What should be our response to such a thing? I think it's offered in verse 13. Hence, let us go out to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. My fellow followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have to be willing to follow Jesus outside the camp, even if it means bearing his reproach. We have to be willing to be separated from the system of acceptance <laughs> because the system will not accept <laughs> the crucified Savior. We have to be willing to bear his reproach. I remember years ago, I worked in a military mental health clinic, and in another uh, department in that military hospital was the fellow who led me to the Lord. And he and I were invited to the home of the head psychiatrist and administrator of the hospital, a lot of uh, high-ranking officers, medical people, their friends, and we went to a big home, beautifully furnished and really uh, upper crust people. And I was just, I was floating. I was thought, oh, I could get used to this, I was thinking. I think, man, I'm just a slob from the streets of New York. But man, I have moved on up. <laughs> I am hobnobbing with the big shots. It was just really cool. And we're just making small talk. And then my friend who led me to the Lord starts making big talk. He moved the conversation masterfully from superficial who cares stuff to the Lord Jesus. And I was so disturbed by what he was doing. I thought his name was Mark. Mark, don't you know you're blowing this? We are never going to get invited back again. Come on, man. Do you know how cool this is inside the camp? And Mark shared Jesus. And they fell away one by one. And Al was one of them who fell away. A Christian. Saved as saved could be. But immature as immature could be. I backed away. I did the Michael Jackson moonwalk, you know what I mean? <laughs> I backed away. I let him do his preaching stuff. There are some hors d'oeuvres waiting for me over here. That's what I was doing. I'll never forget that experience, and I've asked the Lord not to let me forget it. Because later when I was alone, I had a deep pain. I don't think God was angry with me at all. It was worse than that. He helped me to see that I denied the one who loved me most. I wouldn't forfeit a thing. That's how secure we are in Christ Jesus. I wasn't afraid of that. I wasn't afraid of anything. 
I was so disappointed that I had denied the Lord Jesus. I, would, I refused at that point, in essence, to go outside the camp so as to bear the reproach of Jesus. But he was willing to go outside the camp to bear all he did for me. So what am I saying? Folks, don't do, don't do what I did. Don't do it. Don't do it. The Lord Jesus is worth being ostracized for, <laughs> made fun of for, persecuted for. The Lord Jesus is really, he's really worth dying for if we were called to, to, to so do. The system, the world system has no place, had no place uh, for unwanted, bloodied, and burned carcasses of sin-bearing animals, and so they dumped them, you know, outside the camp. And so, too, the world system prefers that the crucified Son of God do his thing outside the camp. You know, separation of church and, you know, do your, do your holy stuff in your building on Sunday and whatever you want to, but leave that out of the rest of culture. You see, what a, the system, the world system didn't then, doesn't now want Jesus. They threw him out. They throw him out today. Why does the system not want such a one, such a wonderful sin bearer as Jesus? Because having Jesus requires confession of sin, and the world system denies its sins. It just makes mistakes. And, and, and to have Jesus requires not only confession of sin, but confession of God's holiness and uh, uncompromising standards. And the world system doesn't like that. If God is loving, he grades on a curve, you know, that kind of deal. And, 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 and to have Jesus also requires confession of the fact that we owe a debt to God. We cannot pay in spite of our humanitarian efforts and philanthropic projects. It doesn't change the desperate darkness of our heart filled with a sin debt we cannot pay. The world does not want to confess any of that stuff. The system wants to avoid all this and fool itself into thinking it doesn't have sin and therefore does not need a savior. Uh, the world system prefers an avenue to God that flows from good works rather from the death of a really good Savior. It's worth going outside the camp, even if it means bearing the reproach of that really, really good Savior. This great Redeemer was greatly rejected. Are you willing to be? Am I? What if we don't get invited to the party? Are you willing to bear the reproach of Jesus, if need be? Folks, in spite of our best efforts, and we Christians, I think in particular over the last years, have really tried really hard to fit into the culture. We've changed our vocabulary and all the rest. We change our services to accommodate the culture. You know, we're doing all kinds of stuff to accommodate the culture. In spite of our best efforts to fit in, the world system will not have us. <clears throat> Are we ready to accept the fact that the place of redemption is really also the place of rejection? And that we have never been called to fit in. We have been called to be separate, to be sanctified, to be set apart. And Jesus provided the means through his own blood. Come out from among them, said he. He didn't say be weird. He said be distinct. He didn't say leave them behind. He said influence them, but 
with the gospel, but don't let them influence you. Do you notice the text does not say bear your reproach? It, say, it says we, we have to go outside the camp to bear his reproach. There's no excuse for us to be unattractive, obnoxious, hateful people to the culture out there. That's our own reproach. That's what we're permitted to do. We're called to bear the Lord's reproach. Now, I want to tell you something. I don't care how culturally relevant you are. There's going to come a time when someone looks you in the eye and says, do you mean to tell me? The mere fact that I don't accept Jesus as my Savior will destine me to eternity apart from him. And you're going to say, yes, that's true. And they're going to say, that offends me. You offend me. You repulse me. We're done. Or one might say, how could I have this Jesus? But as soon as you declare yourself as someone who's gone out the camp to find Jesus, you're in trouble. Let me tell you something. Uh, in a few weeks, Lord willing, we'll start a series on um, unholy ideas about holy matrimony, May 15th. Um, my big concern is not what's happening out there in the world. I don't know. My big concern is what's happening to us. I think in our effort to fit in with culture, we've, been, we've gotten compromised by it. So our rates... I don't want to hurt anyone, uh, but I must tell you, our rates of sexual misbehavior in the church are not that much lower than it is out there. <clears throat> the issue is not gay marriage. Are you kidding me? The issue is we haven't made traditional marriage work. <laughs> the world out there hasn't seen, doesn't have an example of how doing things God's way works because God's people have become so compromised. Again, I didn't say to be weird. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. But there's just going to come a certain time when you have to stake out the ground that Jesus would have you stake out. And some people are going to resent you for it. Let me tell you something. It's already happening. <laughs> it's already happening. It's not just authorizing gay marriage. That's not the deal out there, legalizing. And it will be, in my opinion. Country by country. Today, New Zealand is voting on it, whatever. Country by country. <clears throat> um, the, the real issue is that we're buying into it. And what the system is going to do is... It will penalize us if we say this is what God has, one man, one woman, irreversibly bound. It's not looking for tolerance. <laughs> it's looking for sheer and utter conformity. And we Christians are dropping like flies to conform so as to make sure we get invited to the party. It's not worth it. It's better to go outside. Listen to me. Having been won by Jesus... We probably are going to lose the acceptance of the world in many respects. But having been won by Jesus, everything else pales in comparison. To have this one who embraced us thousands of years ago, unconditionally, irreversibly, eternally, who will never let us go, 
What does the world have to offer? One time when I was a new kind of minister, uh, a seasoned minister, I, I guess, who felt he knew me, looked at me and said, Stuart, you're going to have a hard time in the ministry. I asked him why. He said, because you care too much what people think. <gasps> it stuck with me. That's 35 years ago. Well, we don't want to go out of our way to offend and be insensitive, but we don't want to care so much about what people think that we compromise the mind of Christ in us. Folks, folks, we've been called to separate from the world's way of thinking and living and behaving and in so doing. Give worldly people something that attracts them because they're dying out there. They don't want us to meld in with them. They want us to be distinct so they have a refuge, a place to run to. Where are they going to run? Well, if we just look like them, act like them, believe like them, watch the same stuff on TV, go to the same movies, drink the same drinks, come on. It's not a matter, am I allowed to do this? Can I do this? I have the right to do this. Why do you want to look like everyone else when Jesus said, I will be your God? You will be my people. You are to be holy as I am holy. Why are we looking for loopholes in the Bible to permit us recreational beverages and stuff like that? Why? Why don't we want to raise the bar <coughs> so worldly people could say, what makes you tick? I want who you have. The problem's not out there. The problem is that we've gotten compromised, folks. Don't do it. It's better to go outside the camp, even if it means bearing the reproach of Jesus. I bring this up because I think increasingly this is going to be the case. It already is in our day. It's astounding to me that in modern-day America, at a major university, <clears throat> in an exercise f following from a published textbook, a doctoral-level professor thinks it is okay to have students write the name of Jesus on a piece of paper and stomp upon it. Now, I know he's dancing and prancing and explaining it away, but that's really hard to explain. If it was Allah, I'd like to see him dance and prance and explain that away to the, uh, to the Muslim world. Why Jesus? Why not Allah? Why not Moses? Why not Reverend Moon? Why not Oprah? Why do you got to go after Jesus? Because the world system will handle a system of morality, a system of uh, works. Uh, the world system will handle uh, 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 intricate, uh, um, liturgical, uh, formal uh, religion, vestments, the whole deal. The world system will not handle, you have fallen short of the glory of God. And there is no way you can climb this ladder of good works so as to access him. Instead, he stooped to come down to you. Will you have him? He is God in flesh. His name is Jesus, and there is no other way. The world doesn't. <clears throat> I think increasingly, therefore, as we go outside the camp, we're going to bear his reproach. He's worth it. He's worth it. And just as we close, last verse, a little motivation. Verse 14. Here, we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. Man, there's no place. In A.D. 70, not long after Hebrews was written, goodbye Jerusalem. Jerusalem, a temple, you know, gold, marble, the whole deal. You kidding me? 
That was quite the place. People would come from miles and miles. A.D. 70, 10th Roman Legion, flattened it, burned it to the ground. <laughs> there is no city, not Houston, I'm sorry, not Rome, not Mecca, that is a lasting city. Mm, not going to be. Good news. We're not seeking to make permanent that which is temporary. We, we're seeking the city which is to come, New Jerusalem, the place of promise where the king of kings will dwell in face-to-face -face intimacy, relationship, communion with all those who have gone outside the camp. Yeah, place of rejection, but also the place of redemption. <clears throat> this is not our home. So what do we do? Just sit around? Oh, no. No, no, no. We just, we be salt and light. If the salt loses its savor, what good are we for? We dig in like crazy. We be holy. We don't lower the bar. We raise the bar. We raise the bar. No matter what the cost. We show people that our Jesus is worth it. <clears throat> when I was in the military... Uh, we had a little expression. If you ask somebody how they were doing, if they were soon to be reassigned or soon to be discharged, you say, how's it going? And that person, soon to be discharged, would go like this. That means, did you do that in the Marines, Kelly? No, I was talking about the military, never mind. <clears throat> In the army, we had this deal. How you doing? Short, short, meaning nothing's bothering me. I'm short. <clears throat> My fellow Christians, even in our midst tonight, there are really painful things facing our beloved family here. Anytime we gather, you just need to know from, <laughs> you need to know most of your brothers and sisters, mine, are, go are really carrying a load of different kinds. It's really something to see. It's so good to get together, even in the midst of all those burdens. But you need to know at any given time, a person you're sitting next to maybe isn't expressing it, but is really has a deep concern, maybe even a penetrating pain. So I want to, I wanna, in closing, just invite us to do a little weird deal. Um, ask me how I'm doing. I'm not doing well in a lot of respects. I, a lot of things concern me, bother me. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I'm not looking for a place of permanence. and I, I'm, not, I'm not digging in. I, I, I'm in transit. I, either I go before the Lord returns or I go when he returns. In either case, I'm going to a, a place, a lasting place. Hey, let me ask you a question. How you doing? Okay. We should do this, you know what I mean? People come here like, what's up? What is it, kind of a cult thing, a secret, like a handshake? <clears throat> All that we're going through will seem like momentary light affliction. 
It's not to minimize. Nobody's pain is to be minimized. It's just a comparison. In light of what it will be like to dwell in our lasting city, all that we are presently going through will seem like momentary light affliction. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dig in. Go outside the camp. If God said it, believe it. If you believe it, do it. What if you do it and someone doesn't like it? Pray for them. But don't be compromised. Don't be compromised. Come out from among them so that they will come out into our community, the community of the Messiah of the marginalized. Lord Jesus, to say that we love you in response to you having first loved us is an understatement. What you have done separated, disgraced, cast aside, insulted, disrespected, tortured. For us? Overwhelming, overwhelming. And oh God, we shudder to think that we would ever let down the one who loves us most. And again, Lord, it isn't a fear thing. It's more weighty than that. We don't want to violate the law of love. You have first loved us. We are constrained to do those things which please you, for you have first loved us. Even in this day, where things are going in a bad direction so rapidly, would you please instill in us a desire to be holy as thou art holy and in such fashion that we have lives that demand a question. What makes you different? And then, oh God, put it within us, even if it means bearing your reproach, to declare the truth, the good news. Jesus made me whole. And he's willing to do that for you as well. Oh God, in the power of your Holy Spirit, would you just empower us to be salt in light like never before. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.